This is the Silver Wolf Howl. I am Angela, and today we are chatting to Nicole Engelbrecht, the host of True Crime South Africa. Ryan and I are visiting the home of Nicole Engelbrecht today, a very interesting lady, and I'm really excited to ask her my whole long list of questions. I hope you prepared for this. <laughs> I've been so excited to get chatting to her and to find out more about all the stuff that she does. And so thank you, Nicole, first of all, for having us here and giving us your time today. I'm going to jump into the first question. So we know you as the host of True Crime South Africa. For those out there who don't know about True Crime South Africa, could you tell us a little bit more about it? Sure, thank you. So firstly, thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. Um, So True Crime South Africa is South Africa's first victim-focused true crime podcast. Um, When I created it, it was one of the very few true crime podcasts that were covering South African cases. Uh, It covers cases of violent crime in South Africa. Um, It covers solved and unsolved cases. Uh, predominantly solved just because the information is easier to find but I also do try my best to do as many unsolved cases as I can where those cases have gone cold so I don't cover cases that are um, in court or at critical points in investigations or anything like that. Yeah so that's that's True Crime South Africa Um, it's it's become quite a a community um, and and quite a successful podcast in South Africa. When did you start working on uh, the True Crime South Africa podcast? So it was probably May, I think May 2019. I was actually still working as a sales manager in a corporate in my corporate job um, at the time, and I think it it was going to be a hobby more than anything. Um, I released three episodes when I when I launched it in 2019, and that's sort of when it exploded. Um, you know, it was going to be part of just you know one of many things I was going to be doing as I decided to leave the corporate world and go into trying you know, <clears throat> pardon me, a sort of a creative entrepreneurship. Um, but I thought that would be one of the smallest parts of it and um, turned out not so much. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not small. <laughs> there is another podcast that you are host of. It's called I Lived Through This. Tell us more about it and what is it about and what was the inspiration for it? Sure. So I Lived Through This is my newest podcast. Um, I think it's got about six or seven episodes. And the reason that I decided to create I Live Through This was definitely inspired by True Crime South Africa. And it came to me in terms of speaking to people who had survived some of these really horrible crime situations, but the value that they got in telling me their story. So when I often when I speak to people, I'll, I don't, I'll let them tell their story from beginning to end. And I found that that was so almost therapeutic for these people. Um, They would have insights in the middle of telling their story, remember things that they hadn't remembered before, that they'd almost maybe blocked out or not focused on. And 
almost every single time at the end of an interview, I would find that, that the person had gained so much value from having told their story in that format. Um, and then, of course, when I would play that interview for listeners, the listeners also got as much value. And, you know, I started thinking about that whole, the power of the story, you know, the story for telling the story for the person who experienced the situation as well as the listener. And, of course, there are many different types of survival stories that don't necessarily fit onto a true crime podcast. So that's where I lived through this came from. Um, I wanted it to be, I think South Africa today really needs, we need stories of hope, we need stories of survival, um, perhaps more so than we need to even hear about victims who have ended up passing away. Um, and that is what I lived through this is about. It's about people, so the, the survivors tell their own stories, which I also thought was very important for it to be in their voices. Uh, they tell their own stories from beginning to end, chronological order, and share their insights, and then most importantly, where they are now. Um, so, you know, and that has given people, given the listeners, I think, and the storytellers, this sort of full circle thing, you know, and a lot of people have sat back and gone, well, if this person can live through this, you know, I can do anything. Um, you know, I've had a, one young lady who happened to stumble across one of the episodes, which was about a lady who survived sepsis. And um, her, her, she stumbled across it when her husband was fighting sepsis in a hospital bed and she thought he would not make it. Um, he would, they thought that he would have to have limbs amputated, which the storyteller in that episode had. And she listened to that episode and she actually played it for her husband. And she said to me that she, she felt that that story actually helped them in their journey, understanding that even if he did have to have his legs amputated, they would make it through. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's really been the, I think, the why I created I Live Through This. And I think it is already sort of, you know, helping people. And, it, you know, it's, it's a platform for survivors that don't often get their story told in the media, especially people who've survived sexual violence situations. Um, unfortunately, rape is so prevalent in our country and any form of sexual violence is so prevalent in our country that it's not news anymore, you know. And survivors who want to tell their story don't have a platform to do that because no journalist is really going to bother. Um, not because they don't think it's important, but because the editor's not going to publish it, you know. And understandably, um, you know, news is news. Um, so I think that's another um, benefit of it is, is giving survivors a platform to tell their stories when they want to. That is so awesome because that is also a form of therapy, I think, being able to have the freedom and the space to speak your story out, but also to have somebody else actually listening to your story and somebody who, who cares, you know. So that is really great. I'm so glad that that there is something like that out there and that you've created it. Now, you have created something else. Um, you were writing a book or starting a book. Tell us a little bit more about that. Um, yeah, so uh, earlier this year, a publisher 
came across a podcast that I'd done on the Samurai Sword murder, the Mornay Haramsa case. And she listened to it and she was at the time already wanting to try and find someone to write a book on the case. And when she listened to my podcast, she thought, well, this lady is sort of a decent storyteller. Um, and she contacted me. Um, her name's Melinda Ferguson. So she's, she runs an imprint on NB Publishers. And we decided to, to write a book on the case. Um, so the Mornay Haddamsa story is coming out in October. It'll be in bookshops early October. Um, my first true crime book with my name on it, which is a dream that I've had since I was six years old. <laughs> so it's, yeah, it's pretty amazing that the, the podcast basically made that happen. Um, yeah, so very exciting. It's, it's been pretty hectic. I had a very short deadline to write the book in um, because the case is very current and relevant at the moment with him just having been released on parole. Um, so we really wanted to get the book out this year, and yeah, it will be out in October. That is just around the corner, so I better start saving now. <laughs> that is so great. I'm so excited for you. I hope that it does really, really well. You say in your podcast that you like asking people how they got to be in that profession or that role. Now, I like asking that question too in my podcast. So now I'm posing that question to you. Sure. So um, I guess the short answer to that question is in a very roundabout way. Um, but I'm, I'm very grateful for the roundabout. So, you know, I mean, three years ago I was working in, I spent 20 years working in corporates, um, in management, sales management, HR, office management. Um, and that was something that I enjoyed. I enjoyed the, I guess the side that I enjoyed most was interacting, helping people to sort of achieve their goals. Um, you know, in terms of um, whether that was with customers or with with staff members, you know, fellow team members. And there came a point where for various reasons, you know, I just, I think I was in sales management at the time in 2019. And I, I didn't, couldn't really figure out what the point of it was anymore. You know, I felt like, I guess it was, maybe it was an early midlife crisis or something, but I felt like I was just chasing this number every single month that didn't actually mean anything. And by the time I reached that number at the end of the month, it was reset to zero at the beginning of the next month. <laughs> you know, and that's, you know, I mean, that, that works for people. Some, you know, some people love that, that chase, but it just wasn't for me anymore. So... I decided to, I've always been a hobby writer, um, always loved research, always loved true crime just as a hobby. Um, and I decided to give my entrepreneurial, or rather my creative talents, uh, an, a try and see what I could make of it. You know, I figured it's a risk, but, you know, I had about three months worth of, of bill money saved up and I thought well you know if I can see in three months it's not heading in the right direction then I'm going to you know I can always just get another nine to five job you know I was I was lucky um you know and, and I realized my privilege there because I had already built myself up into a reputation in the industry where I knew I could walk into another job if it didn't work out 
Um, it was a little scary. I remember waking up on, it's actually three years just now, the 1st of August 2019 and realizing that I was actually unemployed. Um, and then I had to reframe that in my mind and say, no, you're not unemployed. You're now self-employed. <laughs> so that's, you know, and, and that's sort of where it came from was, you know, I think I convinced myself when I was much younger that, and, and the world tells you this as well, is that you either earn a paycheck or you do what you're passionate about. You can't do both. And I convinced myself that that was the truth and I was never going to, <clears throat> pardon me, I was never going to earn a living doing what I love, um, you know, and thankfully that wasn't the case. Um, it's, it's been a very convoluted path because where I am now, three years later, in terms of both the podcasts, how successful they've been, the book coming Never, ever, ever could have dreamed on the 1st of August 2019 that that would have been what the outcome had been. But, you know, it's, yeah, I think it's just been a, I've produced the right content at the right time, but it was also a lot of hard work. Um, you know, I went from working, if anyone thinks working for themselves is easier than working for a boss, I went from working nine to five to work, you know, five days a week to working five to eight in the evening, you know, like 17 hours a day, almost seven days a week. That's literally in the beginning what it was. Um, I don't know how I physically survived it, uh, but it is getting better now, you know. Um, so, yeah, it was a lot of hard work. And um, as much as I see that there was a lot of luck and a lot of, the right things happening at the right time to where I am now, it was, you know, I think I certainly put the work in as well. I was just giggling as you're talking about how people think that you're working for yourself, it's it's so much easier than working for a boss. And then <laughs> I felt your pain. <laughs> yeah, just I, I often get that kind of comment as well, like, oh, you're so lucky. You work for yourself. You know, you can kind of dictate your own time and, you know, do your own thing and, and whatever. And to a certain degree, I mean, yeah, okay, you can... Uh, you know dictate some time sometimes but it's not as simple as that and and I mean your hours that you're describing I know it I know it that's what I'm still doing now so yeah <laughs> it's just so funny how how um, the perception is out there so then it sounds like being a podcast host is your full-time job is that so uh so no um it's I'd say it's probably, time-wise, it probably takes up about half my time at the moment. Um, in the very beginning, when I first started doing this, I was doing, at one stage, I actually I had about six different roles. I was managing a blog um, in, in Canada. I was, you know, online on Canada. I was... Um, I was doing a whole bunch of different things, you know, but basically just to pay the bills. Um, but luckily, as I've gone along and the podcast has grown and my other streams of income have grown, I've been able to drop those other roles. So currently, I'm podcasting, doing True Crime South Africa, and I live through this, and then uh, writing for some international clients. So I write, I ghostwrite um, articles that you'll see on websites like Forbes and Entrepreneur and those types of 
places. Whenever you see a, a CEO or a, something of that nature where their article sounds, wow, these guys are really smart. That's probably written by a ghostwriter. <laughs> Um, so that's that's a lot of what I do at the moment, um, and then hopefully getting into writing more books as well. Well, your first one is on its way, so yeah, I can see lots of writing coming your way, I'm sure of it. You must meet some interesting people then in your interviews and your whole research process. Is that the case? Absolutely. Um, I, that's actually been one of the things that for me personally has been one of the greatest benefits of the podcast is the types of people I've met. Um, I've been very lucky in that a lot of people have actually reached out to me, um, you know, experts in the industry, people who uh, work in different fields in crime, you know, psychologists, criminologists, and, you know, if they've resonated with the content they often reach out to me or I get referrals from other people I know and I get to interview them and meet them so that side of it has been you know amazing I mean I've met some people who I literally idolized through my true crime obsession and now we chat on whatsapp <laughs> you know it's it's very very surreal but uh, but I also think you know besides the the experts and those types of interesting professional people, the people that I've met, the victims' families, the survivors, those people are have just actually blown my mind, um, you know, because they're the ones that are living through the situation that everyone else is studying and talking about, you know, and for them that's their lives, you know. So I think certainly meeting um, a lot of those people and a lot of, you know, like the missing person cases that I've covered, I've stayed in touch with the family members and we chat regularly. So that's been really, really nice. Yeah. Oh, that must be nice for both of you, you and, and the family as well. So let's go back to the True Crime podcast. Um, what do you think its value has been? I think the value has been sort of multi multifaceted um, for... The people whose stories I've told, um, there has been value in terms of awareness, value in terms of other people hearing their, their either their story or their loved one's story, um, and just you know having a platform to feel heard on. Um, you know, I think is some of the value that's from on that side. I think on the listener side, and and for me as well, it's been amazingly an educational journey um you know a lot of I've been learning along with the listeners and you know all the time listeners will express to me how they always end an episode having learned something either about South African criminal system the legal system forensics whatever it may be you know so I think that has certainly I've I've actually tried to the more I've seen that educational value, I've tried to even push it further in that direction and, you know, interview people who can talk about important topics, um, you know, so that and, and talk about topics we don't always talk about, you know, um, especially, uh, you know, I did an episode with uh, a rape counsellor and we discussed a lot of things that aren't, aren't usually discussed in terms of spousal rape and uh, what consent really means and all of these things. You know, so that's certainly been one of the most important pieces of value. And 
Um, and then the other side of it is most definitely the awareness that it's brought to a lot of the cases that just didn't see headlines that a lot of other cases do. I know there's some connection between your True Crime Essay podcast and Times Live. Is that correct? Uh, what is that connection? Sure. So um, Arena Holdings, actually, who they own Times Live, Sweatin Live, all of those platforms, they actually saw value in True Crime South Africa long before anyone else did. Um, it was about three months in um, when a lady contacted me from Times Live and asked if I would be interested in them putting my podcast on their website. Um, at the time, we didn't know what the agreement would be. Uh, I th- I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm assuming that they probably thought I wouldn't be able to carry on putting out content and it would eventually fizzle out, you know. But um, they've been great. So we don't have a um, – we've got more of a – I guess you can call it a gentleman's agreement. It's not a, you know, a contract or a monetary exchange or anything like that. Um, it's an exchange of um, platforms. So Times Live will they, – they include my – podcast on their website so their listeners get to listen to it if they're listening to one of times lives podcasts they might then go on to true crime south africa and then they also every week i do a short article which they print under my byline um or they publish it's no longer print (laughs) um digitally and and that includes a link to the podcast um so that's what they provide from their side and then I think what they get in exchange is, I guess they saw value in the content being hopefully well-researched, well-produced, and it was and still is for the most part the only one of the only true crime podcasts in South Africa. Um, So yeah, that's that's basically the it's it's sort of a exchange of value um, at this at this point. Um, Very. Not um, not contractually based, let's put it that way. Ah, okay. All right, I get that now. Nicole, I'm only halfway through my questions and we've run out of time. <laughs> I told you that there were a lot of questions that I have. Um, so I'm hoping that you will let us come back next time for our next episode and so that I can continue chatting to you and find out a little bit more about um, everything that you're doing but for now thank you so much for your time thank you for allowing us to come into your home and ask you all of these questions and uh, for sharing all these wonderful things that you're doing and um, I, I wish you all the best with all of it because it's, it's really great to have this kind of platform out here for people to tell the world their experiences and their stories and for others to learn and grow from that as well so thank you so much and we'll see you next time then thank you so much it's been an absolute pleasure i've loved chatting with you